This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. He is a big film buff, a financial analyst, and an MBA student at UCLA. It is Adam Damn it, I forgot to ask how to pronounce your last name. It's Lewick. Lewick. (laughs) Nice, nice. Very German, very Midwestern. Um, But thanks so much for having me, Joseph. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. I am thrilled that you are here, despite the fact that I didn't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I had my three, I had a drop down uh, list of possible pronunciations. And I'm glad that it was Lewick. Well, let's just consider that, you know, we're such close friends on a first name <laughs> basis that, you know, last names are just irrelevant. It is really an ongoing problem uh, with podcasts that I discover people that I have hung out with a lot, that I like a lot, that I feel like I know that person. I can spell their name because I see it on social media and then suddenly have that epiphany as you are about to say the person's last name that you've never had reason to say it out loud. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I'm meeting a ton of people in business school right now and realizing that, you know, maybe just even a first name that you think is totally normal and then you realize you've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. So yeah. it's it's a continuous learning experience. <laughs> it's a dumb, actually. Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please, pronounce it correctly. Uh, so this is, I'm really great to have you here. Uh, you, you are new to Los Angeles. We know each other from back in my days in Minneapolis and hanging out at uh, the convention Convergence. Yes. And I have always known you you to be uh, very fun-loving but business-focused, which is a great mixture for uh, a human being. So can you tell me a little bit about what you're, what brought you here to L.A., which is this MBA, right? Yes, yeah. I guess you could say I'm a lovable suit. As, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as is that pe- the dream? As people here in L.A. would be. I, su- I suppose it is to some extent, and probably why I'm getting the MBA. Um, yeah, like you said, grew up in, in Minnesota, did a lot of corporate finance type of work, Um but also during that time, I was really involved in the community of Minneapolis, you know, going to Convergence, being on the board of an arts nonprofit. And I was also kind of a film festival programmer for the two largest film fe- festivals in Minnesota. Oh, that's right. And that really kind of struck my passion for film, for the entertainment industry. And I realized that I kind of wanted to marry my strategic kind of analytical skill set with this sort of creative curatorial thinking and, and love for movies. And so that's why I'm out here getting my MBA at, at UCLA Anderson. They probably have, if not the best, you know, one of the best entertainment programs, just, you know, being in LA, being in the center of where everything's happening. And it's, and it's been a ton of fun uh, so far. I, I love LA. I love the West Coast. It's kind of been a dream destination nice. for me for a long time. So it, uh, I'm about three months in now, but it, it feels great to be here. Okay, so what are you actually... Now, I'm not great at business. I'm okay. Uh-huh. I'm okay at business when it's the big picture things and you're thinking of strategy and tactics and it's creative. But then you're like, but put that strategy into numbers. I'm like, do I have to? Uh, so what are you actually studying? Like, what is what are your classes on? Yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's this core business curriculum that... Um, for some folks who even go through an undergrad business program is going to be familiar. You get your finance, your accounting, your kind of general management strategy, maybe some economics, some business statistics, um, kind of operations. And then once you kind of get this core curriculum out of the way, kind of the idea is that you have this kind of foundational skills, business skill set, so okay. to speak. And then you can kind of branch out from there based on what you're interested in. We have students who want to go into consulting. They want to go into investment banking. There's a good core who want to enter the entertainment industry. Uh, maybe people want to go into real estate, want to go into tech. You know, um, They kind of refer to L.A. as Silicon Beach uh, now. <laughs> and 
kind of the rest of the curriculum throughout your kind of two years in the full-time program consists of a lot of electives. So for me, I'll probably be taking a lot of entertainment classes, learning more about business models, marketing, like how studios market their theatrical releases, thinking about um, some of the streaming and OTT platforms, how that's changing a lot of the business in the industry, um, and hopefully using all of that knowledge to spring forward and, and, and work in either a studio or a streaming platform um, kind of here in L.A. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. And it sounds like from we were chatting before we started recording, it sounds like there is a sort of cultural awareness in the program of balancing, uh, like when you said lovable suit, like of like, how, how do you do all of that corporate stuff that must be done without coming off as any of the sort of negative stereotypes of the corporate world? Absolutely. Yeah. I think one thing that really sticks out at UCLA in particular, and I think a lot of people who visit the school and are interested in our program would say that our culture really sticks out. We kind of have these main pillars one of them that really is very prominent in a lot of people's minds is sharing success. So okay. it contributes to this very collaborative um, kind of climate within the classes, working together to make sure we're all, um, you know, doing well in school, but also finding that internship that we really want or making that connection with someone in a network that's really going to open up our careers. It's not you know, cutthroat. We're not like okay. stabbing each other in the back. Um, <laughs> even people interviewing for the same job, you know, we'll oh, talk, wow. we'll talk about like, Hey, maybe think about this or, you know, talk to this person. They were really helpful. So and I think that really contributes to this really positive experience as a whole that, you know, kind of the, the rising tide raises all boats sort of idea. That's really awesome to hear, you know, that there's not like a class that's like how to stab your business partner <laughs> right between the shoulder blades <laughs> and walk away happy. Like, that's yeah, really cool that they're trying to, yeah, rising tide. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That'd be a funny elective. How to stab <laughs> <laughs> and get away with it. <laughs> uh, so this is interesting because your obsession that you offered to talk about is kind of a similar thing. It's kind of about the star in a world of teamwork right your obsession Absolutely. is the uh, the nfl quarterbacks all yeah. of them right yes every <laughs> last one of the history of mankind um yeah i mean you know i've kind of mentioned my my love for entertainment but i think probably my first love when i was a kid was for football okay um which is funny because my my parents both grew up in kind of rural southern minnesota my uh, grandparents didn't let my dad play football they were kind of concerned for the health oh really reasons they let him play baseball they let him play basketball but they didn't want him to play football um and I think when I was in grade school just you know getting to know my classmates and kind of one fall day um they're saying yeah we got a football game this weekend and and it just kind of dawned on me like oh that sounds interesting I go to the game and it looks like a ton of fun you know this is like the mid 90s so like the Dallas Cowboys are kind of a big deal like Troy Aikman you know on like the front of like grade school like notebooks and stuff you know all that sort of branding um, and it kind of just dawned on me all then saying, you know, I want to play football. I want to try this out and I want to play quarterback. And so I came home from that game and I said, Hey dad, I, can I try football next year? And he didn't bat. And I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, but it was really cool how supportive they were, yeah. they were at the time. And I look back on that even more now to think, um, wow, they could have easily had concerns or said, well, maybe you should just stick with, you know, basketball and baseball, or do you want to try soccer or something like that? But they said, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You want to do this? We're going to support you in doing that. Yeah. At that time, at that moment, did you already know your dad's backstory of wanting to play football and being denied? You know, I don't think I did. That's like the funny thing. I I don't think I learned about that until like in hindsight. I think it's because, 
me prompting this this ask of saying, hey, can I play football next year? I think that was the first time we ever talked about football, like, at all. Oh, wow. Um, so there was never the discussion about, like, oh, yeah, my, my parents didn't let me play, so on and so forth. I didn't realize that until, like, probably a few years into my kind of youth league days that, yeah. Uh, that yeah, he wasn't he he wasn't allowed to play football. Did he up. mention it casually or did it come as a, like, son, I'm going to sit you down and tell you how, like, I was denied something, but I've become a, a better parent <laughs> and I gave it to you. Yeah, it would, it would be a fun kind of uh, underdog story if it was that <laughs> way. No, it was, it was more casually, probably yeah. in the in the very Minnesotan, humble sort of, um, you know, how we, we don't always... Uh, we're not always super direct in like sharing our feelings or, you know, whatever that is. Significant moments of our past. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. all just kind of part of this general trajectory, you know, informed by certain values and whatnot. So, no, it was, it was far more casual than that. But yeah. it's still it's still something that registers in my mind absolutely. a lot when I think about when I played football. Yeah, so. absolutely. My father uh, taught me to play the drums because he and, and many of the other members of uh, our family on that side played the drums. And just this last Christmas, he just casually mentioned like, oh, yeah, I just fell into rock and roll. I never wanted to do rock and roll. I started uh, playing jazz, and I had a jazz band, and we tried to get some jazz band gigs in northern Minnesota in the 1950s and 60s, but nobody was really that interested. Like, this is the first time you're telling me that you started as a jazz drummer? And just like, "Eh, I guess everybody wants to hear covers. I wanted to come up with, like, jazz drumming, original jazz drumming songs. Like, okay, cool. You never mentioned that? Fine. (laughs) <laughs> it's so funny how these weird things just enter our lives and then take us on, in some cases, a very different trajectory. And, yeah. And you look back and you wonder how all these kind of weird pieces came into place. Or maybe it's not even that mechanical. It's just, you know, a weird moment yeah. and something clicks in your mind. Yeah, yeah. So uh, growing up then, before you went to this game, you weren't watching football at home. It wasn't a part of the culture for you of your of your house no i'd say the extent of my football awareness was like watching the movie little giants um (laughs) i think i had that like recorded you know like one of those like old like hbo recordings on a vhs tape or something um that was up on the shelf so i would like pop that in every now and then and you know there's like john madden and like bruce smith and all these like nfl greats of the time didn't really understand that totally but just kind of this like underdog story and a bunch of kids in like you know urbana uh illinois and um you know coming together and like beating the beating kind of the 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 big tough uh you know uh, team in in town and yeah. just kind of overcoming the odds in this underdog story um so that was kind of my extent of football awareness until i until i jumped into it i was pretty naive okay so did you just jump into it and then become the quarterback real quick because like you have to earn that right even in small absolutely yeah even even in like the youth leagues there's still only one quarterback right and it's it's really strange. I don't even understand now how, you know, I, I went from I want to play football to and immediately thinking I want to play quarterback, not even having probably thrown a football or knowing that I could throw. Yeah. Um, so I guess I was very, very, very fortunate. Someone was looking after me that way to say, yes, Adam, you'll be blessed with the gift of, of being able to throw a football, even if you don't know it. Um, but I think also like going back to my dad, I think he was always very committed to helping me develop in sports, whether it was baseball or basketball, the things he knew better. Um, but even right off the bat, you know, when I said, yeah, I want to play quarterback, we'd go out and play catch in the yard. And he would always be there to work on routes or dropbacks or things like that. And so I guess like it's almost a blur looking back on it now. But 
yeah, just came in, was able to, you know, throw the ball reasonably well with a good spiral. Um, and then that first year of youth league, I think I was the backup to the coach's kid, got in a little bit, played a game here and there. And then the next year, and from then on out through youth league, I was the starter on whatever team I was on. So, okay. um, yeah, kind of strange how it all comes together. I don't yeah. <laughs> like, did you, so did you, you, you were coming at it is knowing only about football from one specific movie. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so I want to do that. But not only do I want to do that, I want to have this specific role. Did you immediately just like dive in and become like a super nerd about quarterbacks, about what they do, their history, the big names and all that? I think it took a few years, like maybe like year two or three of playing in youth leagues where I really, really dug in. I think those first that like first year was very much informed by like what you see on TV and what you see in the movies about like this weird iconography of what we think of the quarterback yeah not, not just from a a football standpoint but how it kind of has a lot of ramifications in kind of our general american sort of cultural conscious yeah. um and so it was oh yeah he's the one guy he's the leader he's the guy everybody looks to he's the one with the cool wristbands on yeah, and he's stuff the star. like that he's physically great but also he's really smart and yeah. tactical yeah yeah like has has all these tools right and and I don't think that really registered with me in terms of what it takes to get to that level of play until, yeah. you know, year two or three where I'd be watching NFL games all the time. I'd be like creating my own playbooks <laughs> and things like that. I would watch games on Sunday and I would record them, pause, write down the little plays that they had and have this like big binder full of NFL plays. I didn't I didn't even fully understand at the time what it what it was about, but I just felt like. This is part of my weird football education. Yeah, yeah. Do you have an understanding of why you wanted to be a quarterback since you didn't grow up sort of steeped in that allure of quarterbacks? Was it just like, I think a lot of us go, go like, hey, if I'm going to play in a band, of course I want to be the lead singer. If I'm going to play football, I want to be the quarterback. Was it that or was it something else? I think I think it was that from a very like raw initial kind of emotional reaction and to this like understanding what football is and understanding what the quarterback does. I think it was you know, very kind of uh, selfishly wanting to be the center of attention or the guy running the show, so to speak, because, you know, with with football, the play kind of begins and ends with the quarterback. And I think I wanted to be kind of in the center of the action. So it's definitely that kind of initial feel. And then as time has gone on, I've appreciated far more all the intricacies of, of what quarterbacks do and how they impact not only the game of football but like how we think about sports um, yeah in, in general yeah so what happened with your football career obviously you are not in the nfl right now unless you're a really great liar <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah just you know a, a shadow practice squad guy for the for the rams now no so i um i went through youth leagues i played uh through high school at uh, i guess for the for the minnesotans listening i played eden prairie high school which is a, a pretty oh, well-known yeah. Um, pretty successful program, uh, won state championships my junior and senior year there. Um, from there, I actually went on and played at the University of Minnesota. Um, I was a backup quarterback there for all four years of undergrad. Yeah, that's huge. It, it, it was a dream come true. Um, yeah. As much as, um, you know, talking about kind of this youthful dream of playing football, my dad and my sister both went to the University of Minnesota. So I think I was learning the Minnesota Rouser like when I was in second grade from okay. my dad. He took me to a couple games in the Metrodome when we were getting blown out by like the Michigans and Ohio States of the world. But I, but I had this dream of wanting to play for my hometown school or, you know, my home state school. And the big goal for the University of Minnesota is to win a Big Ten championship and play in the Rose Bowl out here in Pasadena. Right. That's kind of the ultimate goal and I said you know what I'm gonna go play for the U and I'm going to 
you know, help this team go uh, win a Big Ten championship and, and get to a Rose Bowl. Um, we obviously we did not uh, reach that goal. It was, <laughs> it was a pretty interesting four years. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And I learned a ton about the game, made a ton of great friends. A lot of coaches I played for have gone off and done some really cool and exciting things in the world of college football and in the NFL. Um, but yeah, that's at the University of Minnesota. That's where my career, you know, really um, probably my my favorite part of my career, but also where it ended. You know, yeah. didn't, didn't go on to play in the NFL. I'm not the I'm not the tallest. I don't fit like all the physical kind of uh, specs of what teams look for in an NFL quarterback. But I knew the game really well. Yeah. And that's where I was really able to contribute on the team. But you were on the field. You played as a quarterback. I never actually got in at quarterback, but I did get on the field. I had a, a really cool niche of a role. I was the holder on the field goal unit. So I, I would go out there anytime we'd want to kick field goal or next to point, hold the ball for our kicker. Um, those roles tended to be either a special teams guy or a quarterback would go out cause yeah. in, in case they wanted to run a fake and someone could run it or throw it. Um, but then I was also the signal guy on the sideline. So a lot of times when we're calling a play you know, to our, for our starting quarterback to relay to his team, in the NFL, they have radios in their helmets, but in college, they haven't implemented that rule yet. So either you have a wristband and someone on the sideline would signal in a number. Um, in my case, when I played, I would actually signal a whole play out to our starter. So okay. like kind of every word in the play call would have a, a corresponding signal that I would relay out to him. So that gave me this kind of, it got me really involved from a game planning perspective, but I also got to, you know, travel with the team every week and go to all the road games and, and really kind of be an active participant, even though I wasn't the starter. Okay. And it, it, so obviously you audition. That's not even the right word. What is the word uh, for, for there's, there's tryouts. Tryouts. There I we guess, go. I guess fortunately for me, <laughs> you know, you do a song and a dance and then they put you on the football. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I guess fortunately for me, there is this kind of recruiting system um, where colleges, you know, they'll look for players out in high school and say, Hey, we want you to come, you know, play for us. Often cases, they'll get scholarships. I was not a scholarship player. I was a walk-on. Um, I was really fortunate. I think my high school coach was a, a big advocate for me and said, okay. hey, you know, um, Coach Tim Brewster was the head coach of Minnesota at the time. Said, hey, Coach Brew, I know um, Adam will be a, a great addition to your team. Maybe he'll, you know, maybe he won't start, but he's a really bright guy. He'll he'll make an impact for you guys in one, one way or another. And so they had me on as a walk-on. So I guess the extent of my tryout was really – what I did in high school. Okay. Um, it wasn't like I had to go show up at the complex one day and they timed how, ra uh, how fast I yeah. ran or how far I could throw the ball. It's, it's kind of this weird, um, in between of how, you know, I guess it, it, it really emphasizes how important every play yeah. you're on the field is. Okay. Someone's evaluating you. So it, because it sounds like it's like many other things. It is not only natural ability. It is about how do you get in? Who do you know? All that kind of stuff. To an extent. Yeah. I mean, it's like a lot of, I suppose, general job search, right? Like it's, it's not always about what you know, it's who you know. Um, and I guess in the case of football, it's playing for a coach who is going to be an advocate for you, you know, got a coach who's coached a lot of players and seen a lot of talent come through their program and say, Hey, this, this guy can contribute to your team yeah. in, in these specific ways. Cool. Cool. Um, and, and I guess I was fortunate enough to, to, you know, make a difference or at least be someone that coach Brewster thought could, could help their team. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, did you ever think of trying out for the actual NFL or were you like, I'm happy with this. This is the experience I wanted. Yeah. I don't think 
I think just based on my playing career and not really getting any downs at quarterback at, at Minnesota and just seeing kind of where my life was going, you know, going through school, getting a business education, thinking about that career beyond college. I also really strongly considered going into coaching after okay. I graduated undergrad because I knew, you know, didn't have the physical tools, but the analytical side of the game and the strategic elements of football I found super fascinating yeah. and so I thought oh maybe I'd you know want to be a coach and you know coach in the NFL someday yeah that sort of a thing so that's something I really strongly considered but no I don't think I was ever you know I think it reached a point in my college career where I said yeah this is probably where it's going to end for me and I'm I'm okay with that yeah cool so obviously your obsession with NFL quarterbacks continued so you, you came to it by going through the experience yourself how do you kind of express it now? Is it just you watch the game, you obsess on who you, who your favorite quarterback is, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think it it really translates to how I watch the game now. Okay. Um, it's very much analytical and strategic. It's not just, you know, sitting on your couch with some beers and <laughs> or going to a stadium and like, oh, yeah, that guy got hit really hard or, you know, something <laughs> like that. It's a lot of thinking situationally, seeing how pre-snap uh, a team is aligned and thinking, oh, maybe they're going to call this play or they're going to run this play based on, you know, five plays of history before that and just thinking about the game that way and then really appreciating how the best quarterbacks in the NFL are able to retain and process all of that information and really execute the offense at an incredibly high level. I mean, the the level of play of NFL quarterbacks has continued to grow as time goes on. That's that's a product of a lot of different changes in the rules and and other aspects of the game. But I mean, the numbers that NFL quarterbacks are putting up now are you know are the highest they've ever been, and in the level of play and and the and the group of really elite quarterbacks who are both physically gifted but also very very intelligent from a football IQ standpoint that group is really growing okay and it's and it makes for some really really fun games to watch is that partially just because there is so much history of the game and it is so deeply analyzed because you're kind of trying to psych the other team out on on some level right there yes there is a lot of mental games and kind of you know people love to use the term chess match uh, within um, football from a from a coaching standpoint, but yes, quarterbacks as well. Um, I I think that is the case. I think the game has really evolved over time. You know, you think about in the the 30s and 40s where the ball was a lot more like was a lot fatter. It was harder to throw, and okay. how just even <laughs> even little changes like that where the the ball has become more narrow and easier to throw. Um, the way coaches think about um, really executing on offense and trying to score as many points as possible that has shifted more towards throwing the ball okay. um, much more frequently as opposed to kind of this run-pass balance. Um, and then it, it comes up to, I guess, guys who maybe like me, but way more physically gifted than me, growing up at a young age knowing they wanted to play quarterback and being very invested in that process throughout their lives. Okay, I mean, and studying and studying and studying. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think even kids playing at the high school level now is is quite a few leagues beyond the way it was when I was in high school, too. And the way high school players are going to these camps, they're understanding complex defensive schemes and coverages, and they're able to execute that at a high school level, which then translates to college and then, you know, in some cases to the NFL, and guys are wildly successful. Right, and they've already been doing this for years and years and years, and their brain has been rewired to think in terms of all of these kinds of plays and choices. Exactly. So who is your favorite right now? Do you have a favorite NFL quarterback? 
A favorite NFL quarterback. I mean, I should say that probably my favorite player of all time, my favorite NFL quarterback ever was uh, is Kurt Warner, who is a guy who had this really incredible story to get to the NFL and was recently inducted into the into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, played for the St. Louis Rams for a few years, won a Super Bowl there. Um, are those the same Rams that are, that are Los Angeles Rams that now? That have moved out here now. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Got to keep your eye on those yeah. Rams. Yeah, they're, you know, LA Rams, they go to St. Louis and now they've come back to LA. Okay. Um, yeah, he just had this incredible story of he wasn't drafted into the NFL. He went and played in the Arena Football League, which is a, a smaller league with different rules. He then played in the NFL Europe League, which doesn't exist anymore. And then he finally made it to the NFL, uh, like in his late twenties. Um, okay. So, like, quite a few years of kind of this journeyman story ends up on the Rams. The starter gets hurt, and he takes the team this huge turnaround to this incredible like Super Bowl victory. Um, then he gets banged up. He gets a little hurt, shifts to a couple teams, ends up with the Arizona Cardinals and ends up leading them to a Super Bowl, uh, birth as well. They didn't win, but he was, you know, one of the first quarterbacks at the time to lead two different teams to a Super Bowl. Oh, wow. Um, and I think that made a big difference from like a, a pro football hall of fame kind of voting committee standpoint that I don't think we've seen a story like this in the NFL before. Yeah. And it's, and it's, again, I, I mentioned how quarterbacks, can inform kind of the American cultural conscious. And I think this story is a really, really good example of that and probably why I gravitated towards him so much as a kid. Right. It is that sort of hero's journey of the from from an unexpected place comes this person that no one thought could make a difference. And, you know, right. it is. You hear that same story about like Broadway stars of like, you know, they only got the chance because the lead actor fell down. Yeah. <laughs> on yeah. Tuesday when this, you know, important person from the movies was there and then stardom uh so that's your favorite of all time do you have a favorite now i mean i know so many sports so much of the joy of sports is you you pick your team you pick your players but are you being just like i like all the nfl quarterbacks like comparing them contrasting them or or is it that more a story-like view where you're like Mm -hmm. i hope so and so wins because i'm i'm on his team in my heart yeah i guess i guess i would say i'm a little team and player agnostic at the moment maybe it's part of like you know moving out here like you know happy to support the rams especially because i grew up kind of loving them as well um i think in terms of the players i love to watch the most um it's probably aaron Rodgers and drew Brees. um probably my favorite to watch is drew Brees. he's about the same height as me he's about six feet tall which is kind of a a an anomaly in terms of being on the short end for NFL quarterbacks, but he's insanely gifted and what he's able to do, you know, physically, but then also mentally, he's putting up awesome numbers this year. He's playing incredibly. He's, I think he's into his forties now and still playing at a super high level. Um, So he is just a a joy to watch uh, week in and week out to see what he does with, with that offense. And then Aaron Rodgers, I think he's probably one of the most kind of physically gifted in terms of, being able to throw the ball off balance, being able to move around the pocket. You know, obviously he's not the fastest quarterback out there, but like this weird quarterbacking athleticism that you see in some players, he really is able to demonstrate. And so I think a lot of it's just being able to observe and appreciate how much natural ability he has. And then combining that with a very, very bright mind, football mind, and, and seeing what he's able to do with sometimes a lot of limited resources. So those are probably the two guys I watch the most at okay. the moment. That's really interesting that you are appreciating the art, both physical and mental, much more than just rooting for 
the team are rooting for your favorite player because they are your favorite player that you have on your lunchbox and jackets. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, I wonder if it comes from growing up in a state whose home team, the Vikings, um, had some success for a, a period of time, but never was able to get over the hump and, yeah. and win that Super Bowl. So it's almost maybe this weird like defense mechanism, right? To not get too emotionally attached to <laughs> right. a certain team or a certain player. Like even even I had heartbreak moments watching Kurt Warner. He took the Rams to a second Super Bowl and it was you know famously lost to the New England Patriots when Tom Brady was just starting out in the league. Okay. It was probably considered the greatest Super Bowl upset at the time. And that absolutely broke my heart to because I thought it was going to be this like incredible, perfect season for, for Kurt Warner winning the MVP and everything. And kind of my hopes were dashed. So maybe it's a little bit of like, you know, hedging myself against the okay. heartbreak of being invested in a team <laughs> and then just appreciating maybe at a macro level what, you know, the the league is about now and what the and just the really, really high level of quarterback play. Yeah. Damn Tom Brady. It's always Tom Brady. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you, can a football team win if everyone else on it is great and the quarterback is just terrible? Is that possible? I think there are very, very rare well, I think the answer is no. Okay. I think there are very rare instances where a team has been great across the board and they've had a quarterback who isn't who's maybe, you know, marginally gifted. Um, he isn't a great player, but at moments he's able to play great. Okay. Um, probably the most recent example of that being um, the Baltimore Ravens back in like 2000. They had this incredible defense. They're super gifted. And they had this quarterback named Trent Dilfer, who was kind of a journeyman and played with the team. You know, he was he was effective. He got the job done. He was, I think, what a lot of people call like a game manager type of quarterback, which um, doesn't get enough respect as it should. It's a really, really tough position because it your margin for error is a lot smaller than if you're a quarterback who's throwing the ball a lot more during a okay. game. So if I stopped you uh, every time I needed a term clarified, the podcast would be four hours long, <laughs> but I'm going to clarify on game manager. Yes. Is that just a perspective where like, I'm not trying to do anything flashy. I'm not trying to throw it halfway down the the field every time. I'm just trying to slowly but surely move it forward. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I think um, for a general team strategy, if they have kind of a game manager at quarterback, you're really leaning on your defense. And so you're relying on your defense to hold the opposing offense to little yardage, few points, and you're hoping that your offense can control the ball, have the have a hold the ball longer than the opposing offense will hold the ball. Okay, so you're just actually running down the clock too, right? Essentially, yeah. So it's it's being able to sustain long drives. You're maybe not doing anything too flashy, but it means that every critical moment to sustain a drive for an offense you need that quarterback to deliver. Right. You need those five yards or whatever it is. Exactly. And so those opportunities may be a lot fewer in the game as opposed to an Aaron Rodgers who's throwing it on every down. But you have to be very efficient in those kind of you know high-pressure situations. And yeah. Trent Dilfer, for the most part, was able to do that. What a great name for season. someone who's really good but not really a star. Trent Dilfer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I suppose it does, does kind of fit to this sort of... <laughs> Um, kind of middle of the road, um, type of uh, yeah. type of player. Yeah, it is. It's funny how much the quarterback just. Uh, and these are just little anecdotal things, but like the the one that you're telling me the story of is Kurt Warner. <laughs> and Tom Brady is the big hero, and then the, the guy is just like, I'm quietly just getting it done. Yeah, Trent Delford. Uh, it's anecdotal, but it is funny with how much we think of quarterbacks as stars. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we've talked about that a little bit. Do you do you think quarterbacks 
are stars, should they be stars? Yeah, I think I th- think whether they want to or not, they are stars based on, again, like a lot of kind of American cultural psyche around who we look up to yeah. as, as our heroes, whether it's pr- professional athletes, whether it's movie stars, um, you know, whether it's other sort of role models in our community. Um, I think that it's it's hard for a quarterback not to be the focus of attention on a team. Um, I think the level of stardom obviously varies from player to player, from quarterback to quarterback, but it's there's only one of them on the field. Um, yeah. There's only 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And if you think of the the general American professional sports populace, they're a very, very, very small and elite group of players. Um, and so I think that sort of uh, exclusive grouping to some extent lends to that, to that stardom or to that interest by okay. the general fan base. Okay. Here's a super ignorant question just for clarity for uh-huh. my sake. The plays are, are they all from the quarterback? Are they a, um, a, a teamwork with the coach or is the quarterback usually just deciding in the moment based on what's happening on the field right now, here's the play. So in the modern NFL, it's all the play calls come from coaches, either okay. in some cases from the head coach or from the offensive coordinator. Way, way back in some of the early, early years of professional football in the NFL, um, guys like Johnny Unitas. Um, <laughs> There's a hero name. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was he was a legend. He was known for calling plays. So back in back in those days, sometimes the starting quarterback would be the play caller. But I think for for a long time now. Um, the, the coaches, whether it's a head coach or an offensive coordinator is the play caller, um, you know, on, on every down, but in terms of game planning, when a team is deciding, here's the, the list of plays that we're going to go into this game that we can select from. Yeah. There is a lot of collaboration between the coach and the quarterback, because obviously the coach wants to give the quarterback a play that's going to give him the best opportunity to be successful. Right. And so that takes a lot of input from the quarterback based on his understanding of the defense to say, hey, I really, really like this play in this certain situation of the game. So there's there's this weird symbiosis that that kind of happens yeah. where, you know, hopefully the coach is going to call play that the starting quarterback is is also thinking in a certain situation. Okay, so the skill is really in obviously the physical execution, but also knowing all of these plays, knowing the players in that, uh, because they're still making snap decisions in the moment when plays go wonky, right? And they suddenly decide to throw to someone who is not the intended target, right? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest evolutions of the game in the last, you know, 20 years or so, the pre-snap adjustments made by the quarterback. And so kind of the the intellectual capacity needed by, you know, the really, really great quarterbacks has really increased because based on, you know, preparation during the week ahead of time, a starter is going to know at the line of scrimmage before a play has even begun, before the ball is snapped, he's going to understand that based on what I'm seeing the defense doing, the play that we have called is going to be a bad one. It's not going to work. (laughs) And so then it's up to him to decide, okay, what play are we going to switch to? So he calls an audible at the line, communicates to the rest of his players, hey, we're going to switch it up. Um, It's called an audible? It's called an audible, (laughs) yes. Sometimes they call it you know, a a check at the line, getting out of the play. but yeah, and and the the quarterbacks who are the most successful are probably the ones who are the best at that sort of pre-snap adjustments and okay. calling audibles. Yeah, cool. All right, so I wanted to get a a better picture for myself of what are all the skill sets of a modern quarterback before I ask this next question. Do you see people 
in life metaphorically as quarterbacks or not, having studied it so much. Like when you meet a person, uh, we're talking about kind of the lore of quarterbacks of what they mean in the American conscious. When you meet somebody, is it like, that person's a quarterback. That person is not a quarterback. Do you see people that way? You know, it's uh, to some extent, maybe not as much as you would think coming from someone who who spent a lot of his life devoted to football. Um, obviously, there are a lot of really core leadership principles and values that a quarterback must have yeah. because he is often seen as the leader of a team, the guy who's going to um, rally his teammates when they're down, when they're in adverse situations, but also be the guy to really set the tone when things are going well, too. Okay. So in terms of how that translates to our day-to-day lives, whether it's a corporate center and things like that, it's funny how much we like to throw football terminology out into yeah. those situations. Again, another weird kind of manifestation of... Uh, I'm going to need a quarterback this one. Yeah, like yeah, that kind of thing. A term I like to throw out throw out a lot is um, blocking and tackling and and really what that refers to in kind of a a corporate sense is just like very basic fundamental things that we need to take care of so like hey let's let's really nail down the blocking and tackling part of this project Um, I think a lot of people now especially as it's become a little more fashionable to push back on what football has done culturally to America what the NFL stands for in some senses I think that induces probably more eye rolls now than maybe it did even five or ten years ago um but yeah i think there's still a lot of times when you bring someone onto a job and say hey we've got this big project we need you to be the quarterback on it yeah i think it's it it still permeates in a lot of different spaces yeah i mean that i mean it's just a word for leadership even if it's not entirely accurate but you have this more deeper uh fundamental understanding of it in a respect for it for the best of what it can be, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. You mentioned various controversies around the NFL, which obviously there, there are plenty. It's a choose-your-own-adventure. Um, but you have this deep respect for what it can be at its best, which is this uh, intellectual knowledge, this sort of uh, leadership. When you think of somebody as a quarterback, is it a positive thing that, that goes beyond just a synonym for leader? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's... There is the leadership element, like you said, but almost being a quarterback and being on kind of the other side of my football career now, understanding to some extent what that journey is okay. as a quarterback and how that can inform someone as a person, their character, how they handle adversity, um, and then also just understanding the mindset too, whether it's you know kind of the analytical thinking and how to you know mobilize a group of people or just those guys are often really, really big team players too. Like they're the, they're people you want to be around. They're really good guys because they understood that if they're going to be successful as a quarterback, they have to motivate the people around them to be better as well. Do you get, do you ever have quarterbacks that you don't like because you see either on field or off field that they are not exhibiting those, uh, those traits that you value? Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to judge someone, especially if we're thinking about like kind of the the famous NFL sort of quarterbacks and a lot of pe- there you know certain players in the NFL now that people like to give a lot of uh, grief to. Um, I try not to judge too much based on this these very limited touch points. Okay, I think it's an adage that maybe goes around a, a locker room and within a team where. You know, a lot of character and a lot of integrity is displayed when no one's watching you or when nobody is around. It's it's very cliche, but I think it does say a lot um, in that kind of football team dynamic. So, um, you know, there are 
players obviously who are getting in trouble off the field and I you know that's one thing that's not you know there's no excuse for that and it shouldn't be tolerated um but in terms of like character quirks or how a player chooses to express themselves within certain um guidelines or certain general principles like I don't don't see any problem with that okay so you don't worry about that too much okay that's cool um I wanted to ask you a little bit uh uh about meeting a quarterback it sounds like you I already know the answer to this but if you could meet any quarterback living or dead and just like sit down and chat with them who would you want to meet would it be uh Kurt Warner I think potentially, yeah. um, but I guess maybe for the sake of giving another answer, um, <laughs> of offering some other perspective, one really fascinating element uh, of the mythology of NFL quarterbacks are the guys <clears throat> who maybe aren't the most physically gifted, um, but they're the guys who are really, really clutch in these tough situations. Okay. And so I'm thinking of a guy like Joe Montana or Tom Brady. Um, obviously they're both very gifted and very bright and they understand the game well, but from like a general leadership disposition or character standpoint, it would be really, really fascinating to just chat with them and get a sense for their sort of, um, their mental approach to the game. If they approach the game the way that you assume that they do and verify that it is true. I think it's because. A lot of us really don't understand what makes these guys tick. Yeah. To some extent. I think it's something very intangible. Yeah. It's not, oh, I went to this school or, oh, I did this thing. It's this weird kind of amalgamation of abilities, of experiences that allows them to be insanely clutch in these yeah. really, really high pressure <laughs> situations. And I wish I could just like extract that like either out of their brains okay. or something. I want to like, extract what makes you clutch. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cool. Uh, so... This is, um, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. Uh, a lot of the quarterbacks that I'm aware of, and it's not a lot because I only know the super famous ones, not only do they have that star quality because they are leaders, because they have physical prowess, a lot of them do appear to be just traditionally, stereotypically handsome. Is there just, <laughs> are there famous quarterbacks that I just don't know because America is shitty about that and we only learn uh, the the famous pretty ones? But are there ones that just look like, average people and not like i mean the, the two you just that's a, that's named are look question. you know tom brady and joe namath both look like you open a serious catalog in the era that they were famous in not only do they look handsome but they look handsome for their era you know i think i think there are it's it's funny like it makes me think about general about sports in general and how we associate <clears throat> to some extent like good looks with like ability right yeah. Um, and maybe that's proliferated a little bit in like the modern game, but there are guys like Bart Starr who, um, was like, you know, one, two, a couple Super Bowls with the Green Bay Packers way, way okay. back in the days with, uh, with Vince Lombardi. I think he's a pretty average looking guy. Yeah. Um, I guess I can't also, wait to Google him. Yes. Yeah. Bart Starr. Um, also Fran Tarkenton who played for the Vikings for a while. So I think like maybe back in those days, there's like a little more of like an average Joe. Okay. When kind did of Fran spirit. Tarkenton play? Yeah. So he was back. Oh, gosh. Uh, I want to say in like the 70s. Okay. Back when Bud Grant was the coach of the Vikings. Um, that, Hall, yeah. Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, known. I don't think he was the biggest guy, but he was known for really being able to scramble in, in the pocket and make plays on the run and stuff like that. Um, but he was probably, you know, the greatest quarterback to play for the Vikings. Yeah. Um, 
so far and yeah so he's you know you see him now he's kind of a you know an average average uh, looking okay. guy and you know but legendary in terms of his play yeah i just remember hearing that name in my youth and being excited because tarkin was in it and it made me think of star wars <laughs> <laughs> that is how hungry i was for star wars content oh that's so perfect watch football didn't know uh i did want to ask you some mashup questions between pop culture since you're a lover Love of film and quarterbacks i'm going to ask you who would be a better quarterback between a couple people? Oh, this is great. Superman or Batman? Who's the better quarterback? Oh, man. Uh, probably, I mean, Superman. He's got it physically, uh, right? But Physically, he has it. <laughs> I think Batman would be a better coach than right. Superman. Um, that would be quite the the duo if Batman was calling plays oh, for yeah. Superman. Yeah. Um, I mean, you even see it now, like Cam Newton um, plays for the Carolina Panthers. He, you know one of his big touchdown celebrations is like the idea of, you know, ripping open the shirt, shirt like, like Clark Superman. Kent and looking like <laughs> Superman. So, um, yeah, like it, yeah, I think, I think hands down it's Superman. That makes a lot of sense. I can see Batman calling some like vicious play that <laughs> it has to be done that way. And Superman going, I can't Bruce. I can't. It's too, it's too dark of a move. Uh, better quarterback between Gandalf or Dumbledore. Oh my God. Um, Gandalf or Dumbledore. Um, I don't know. My, my reaction's almost Gandalf because I think he would be a better team player. Yeah. He's kind of that leader. He can work with a, a team, a fellowship of, of offensive <laughs> linemen and uh, running backs and receivers. Um, Dumbledore, yeah, he's a little more elusive. You know, the relationships with people, how well can you trust him because yeah. he is so sheltered and, and kind of defensive at times yeah. so I'd, I'd say gandalf i think that's the right answer he, <laughs> he literally yells at people to fly right so i mean he tells them when to run he's very clear yes uh luke skywalker or darth vader oh man i love luke skywalker so much he's like my favorite <laughs> star wars character so i feel like i almost have to go with him but i'm trying to think of in what world would darth vader be a really good quarterback um again because it's like you can almost say that, like, the trajectory of Darth Vader, right? Like, wanting to protect and save his family, like, this loyalty element. Yeah. Um, and whereas Luke, you know, kind of has his head in the clouds sometimes trying to get away from home and live his <laughs> life. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's funny how so much of this is, like, it's very little about the physical ability and, very, and much more about the intangible. It's like, who's going to be a better I team mean, player? Vader has a good arm. I mean, it's mechanical. So yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's a very good point. Yeah. But Vader does lead his troops. He is, he is a charismatic leader. You can't you can, you cannot you cannot deny that. Yeah, so. he has, he does also kill his people quite yeah. a lot, which doesn't seem like being a good team player. Yeah, I don't think I don't think a, a lightsaber to the back of one of his offensive <laughs> linemen is going to be a very productive strategy. <laughs> Fair enough. Excessive celebration and Vader chokes you. Uh, here's the final one: Cersei Lannister or Daenerys Targaryen? Oh man, I mean, I probably have to go with uh, Daenerys yeah. again. You know, cares about her dragons, her people, you know, mobilizing these armies to, you know, work together towards one goal. Again, Cersei, I think, would be a little too, you know, she would be someone who, in quarterbacking kind of terms, we refer to players that are a little too weary of defensive players rushing and trying to sack them as someone who has happy feet. And okay. so it, it's kind of contributing to the sense of paranoia, right? And Cersei. Very, very paranoid character. <laughs> very worried about um, people. He has happy feet. People are usurping her. So I think, I think Daenerys would be the better quarterback there. <laughs> that is really cool. It's really interesting to see this picture of quarterbacks uh, emerge from you. That it is not simply about being an amazing physical player or an amazing tactician. That there is an element of truly having to 
be uh, cool and calm and collected and care about others. Yeah, I think that's what makes it such a singular position in sports and why there's really just nothing like it because it's this this really strange combination of all of these factors. And it also makes it really, really hard to determine when a player is going through college, you know, to to project, is he going to be really successful in the NFL or is he going to right. be a complete bust? Um, and there's a lot of money and a lot of press and, and whatnot, all fixating on all of these things, wanting to figure out what's the what's the formula to make a great quarterback. And I don't know if we've totally figured that out yet. Yeah, because it seems like what's the formula to make a great human, because you know, all the stories we always tell, we put a character through a challenge and either they will uh, overcome their own fears, their own weaknesses, external and internal challenges and emerge victorious yeah. or they will not. And it seems like that with uh, that's the story of going on to higher and higher levels. If you have the physical ability, can you just can you keep up with the pressure? Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Or you'll be Cersei with the happy feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's probably why we all relate to it, too. There's there's this. Among all of these great accolades and, and accomplishments and this iconography, it's it's still human in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Awesome. We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are You questions. So these are questions I ask everybody or variations thereof. Do you think about quarterbacks every day? Almost. Um, as a kid, every day and probably every waking moment, just yeah. about. Um, now, definitely during football season, thinking about quarterback play, thinking about teams, um, and just like the insane statistics that quarterbacks are putting up now. Um, in the off season, you know, maybe it's shifting over to like movies and other things like that. Okay. Or, you know, corporate business strategies <laughs> on, on this lovable suit. Yeah. Are you only engaged truly during the season or are you really engaged uh during the the selection of who's going to be the quarterback all the trading all that yeah i think that's one thing the nfl has done pretty effectively is to make the game even though the season runs from september to like early february they've made it a year-round sport to some extent they've created these media events whether it's the nfl draft in april whether it's um, things in training camp, um, you know, other sort of events throughout the year, the Hall of Fame induction, um, they've made it a year-round kind of media hoopla. Okay. So it's it's hard to escape it, um, <laughs> especially when I was a kid, you know, watching ESPN every day or looking at NFL Network. So, um, but yeah, I mean, now more so that I'm on the other side of it, I see kind of the cogs in the machine. I'm able to I'm able to detach at times. Right, because now you could watch that with no interest in football and just as somebody who is interested in business and media going, how are they making it? Yes. So that I think about NFL quarterbacks every day, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Or the tricks behind that. When people walk into your home, can they tell you love quarterbacks? Um, my bedroom is decorated. It's very much like Minnesota gopher football related. Um, I don't know if it, it screams quarterback. Okay. Um, I think when I was a kid, it definitely did had like action figures and bobbleheads and pictures <laughs> and stuff all over. So, but, uh, yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's this weird, like growing up thing where it's not as, 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 as prevalent in my home. So you want it there, but it's in your, your private sanctum in the, in the bedroom. Yes. <laughs> we keep the quarterbacks in the bedroom. Yep. And, and is the, the common area of your home a little bit more, uh, like, look, I'm an adult or what, what is it? Yeah. I'd say it's, yeah, it has some of that adult feel, but then also like living room, very entertainment oriented, some, you know, a, a film poster, bookshelves with. Lots of books in and entertainment, but some sports okay. stuff too. So there's like this kind of media center feel. But then other areas I decorated too. There's you know some artwork, some photos I've taken. So it's a good like 
it's a good balance there. Okay, cool, cool. Would you ever get a quarterback tattoo? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think it's just my general aversion to tattoos. Yeah. And it's not even about like the pain of it. It's just like having something permanent on my body. I know we I joked with some of my teammates, some of my, the other quarterbacks at, in Minnesota, that if we ever went to the Rose Bowl, that we would all get tattoos. And I think I actually agreed to that because, yeah. you know, I think that would be like a memorable one. But otherwise, no, probably not. That's commemorating an achievement, though. That's different than just... I love Kurt Warner on your back or whatever. <laughs> that, that would be hilarious. Yeah, just putting, putting the big 13 on, on my back. Yeah. Would you still consider it if it was a part of an achievement? Like, uh, you know, you go on with your career and let's say you uh, produce uh, a movie about Kurt Warner. And, you know, at the uh, the you win an Oscar and then you get a tattoo or is it still just like nah I just don't need that on my body I think the I think the idea of like an Oscar tattoo like on my butt or something <laughs> just like has this really weird appeal to me right now um you know it's funny because like Taking home the gold yes yep. absolutely I think the interesting thing for me is that <clears throat> and a lot of my classmates will attest to that I when I first met them at business school I didn't tell them I don't like lead with oh I played football in college or I played football division 1 in the Big you get 10. baggage I assume. Yeah, like I I'm, I'm very sensitive about the associations that come with that both like positive and probably more so negative um, around like oh he was a jock, you know, and, yeah. and creating these associations about one's personality as a result. Um so it would be interesting to have a tattoo associated with a specific accomplishment, whether it's around football or around winning an Oscar. Maybe, I don't know. The appeal of winning an, having like an Oscar tattoo, again, is, <laughs> is interesting. But it's almost like, and I think, I think the fear comes from like not wanting to come off as like the Uncle Rico, right? Okay. Of like... The, you know, the, the uncle who's still like reliving his glory days in right, high school or right. college. And I think that I think that's where the aversion comes from. For me, it's more about like looking forward. The forward movement. All right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you could afford it, would you pay $10,000 for a trading card of a favorite quarterback? If it was a really, really rare one, like one of a kind, yeah, probably if I could afford it, why not? Okay. <clears throat> or some like kind of memorabilia assigned football or helmet. Yeah. yeah. So your love does extend to memorabilia. It sounded like you had a lot as a kid. I did have a lot of football cards, had a big binder full of them, got some, spe- <laughs> got some special ones. Of you had them favorite. nicely organized. Yeah. Right. yeah, 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 very much, again, kind of an expression of obsession, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I, I think I th- that kind of memorabilia, yeah, would, okay. would, would be meaningful to me. Fran Tarkenton? Potentially Fran Tarkenton, probably more so like the Kurt Warner okay. um, stuff. Like if there was like a game ball from the Super Bowl he won or something like, yeah, I would, I would probably pay, pay a pretty penny for okay, that. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. Would you buy and wear NFL quarterback pajamas? Yeah, absolutely. Have you? I have a lot of weird pajamas. <laughs> like that's, that's a that's a great lead in. I've got like I've got some Batman pajamas. Okay, like, I got some like Snoopy pajamas. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had like some you know I think I had like Spider Man pajamas when I was a kid. So like absolutely. Okay, like, Kurt Warner pajamas. Uh, yeah. yeah so this is just one of the many ways you express your interest yeah, in something. There, there's zero shame there in terms of my <laughs> in terms of my pajama game. So oh, that, I'd, I'd awesome. be into that. <laughs> uh, would you wear? Uh, so that's that's your your private wear for the most part. I'm I'm assuming you're you're not uh, dancing around the streets in your Spidey pajamas. Nothing wrong with that if you want to. <laughs> but in general, pajamas are the the more private version of expression. But would you wear a T-shirt out in public that says "Ask me about quarterbacks"? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would. Yeah, it's 
Yeah, I definitely would. I think I enjoy having conversations about football in the game to like, to like some extent. Um, so yeah, I would have no problem with someone approaching me and saying, Hey, tell me, tell me about quarterbacks. I would, I would absolutely wear that. Yeah. Shirt. You, yeah. Like you're not in general averse to talking to strangers, right? No, no, not at all. Like if, if it makes for a good conversation, I feel like I'm, I'm comfortable in those kind of scenarios, maybe a little, another evolution from like a Minnesota upbringing. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I would have no problem, okay. uh, you know, striking up a conversation about, about quarterbacks. Yeah. Well, that makes sense that when you're entering, like with school, you said entering a, new potentially with some of your your classmates long-term relationships you don't want to lead with football right but you're happy to discuss it yeah and engage on it yeah yeah i've said that to a few of my classmates there you know a lot of them are from all across the country so they have you know we've got eagles fans we have titans fans we have vikings fans we have packer fans like pretty much any team you name it there's a fan and you know they'll be watching the game and be wondering, oh, what happened on this play? What's going on? And I'll say, well, there's here's kind of these three things as maybe as to why that happened the way it yeah. did. And, and so they're like, oh, of course, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> and so I am I am always always uh, happy to talk ball with people. It's something I really really enjoy. Okay, is that because uh, is talking about football sort of naturally um, adversarial isn't quite the right word, but you're kind of expected to debate. That's kind of the, one of the fun things about talking about sports, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you trade back and forth of here's why I think that play went well, or here's why I think this person should be running back. This person shouldn't. Uh, do you, do you ever feel like I don't want to talk to people about quarterbacks because I don't want to deal with uh, <laughs> their opinions that I disagree with? Yeah, I guess, you know, it's funny as, as much as I say, like happy to have conversations with people. One thing that I have a especially after I graduated from college and finished my career like I have a really strong aversion to watching games with people who either don't understand it at all but it's more people who don't really understand the game but act like they do and say things that oh they should have done this this is going on and and just think like no that's totally totally wrong I have (laughs) very low tolerance for that, if it if a, a dialogue is kind of approached in a in a curiosity with like a, a hint of curiosity or just um, more of a, a back and forth on oh I you know I like this player because X Y Z reasons or you know all oh, this coach you know could be doing better in these areas like I'm I'm all for that but when when there's this kind of faux machismo around like football knowledge that yeah. that's that's like shuts that's a big turn off for me okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you would uh, politely get out of that conversation yeah. when you were wearing your ask me about quarterbacks t-shirt yeah and so oftentimes <laughs> like especially when i'm watching my alma mater play like it's tough to watch with people okay. um there are a lot of times where i'd just rather watch by myself or like with my parents who are like there or other like family members who know me really well to know like not to start spouting like all of this nonsense, but like, oh, they're doing this wrong or this wrong. Have like, you know, having all these like kind of not informed opinions about yeah. what's going on. That so. makes sense. Would you stop dating someone who just didn't like quarterbacks? <laughs> <laughs> Which you could interpret as didn't like football in general or specifically like, I love football, but I can't stand quarterbacks. Which yeah. would be a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I guess I've, I have dated people in the past who weren't like, I've dated people in the past who are super supportive of football and, and me playing football. And then I guess I've dated people who like didn't, you know, give a rip about football or, or quarterbacks too. Um, I, th- I'd like to think that I have enough interests outside of the game where 
it wouldn't be like this big deal breaker. Okay. I guess when it comes to like, if I want to watch a football game and like, there's this weird like impeding to my enjoyment of the game because yeah. of my significant other, then I, I could see that being an issue. Yeah. So if you were dating somebody who was like, this is great, except for I, I need you to hang out with me every Sunday, no matter what. And you'd be like, you have to understand where I'm coming from. Yes. That I hang out with quarterbacks <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I have a date with Kurt Warner. Well, <laughs> reviewing old tapes. He's not still playing, is he? No, he's retired. Okay. Um, but in, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, amazing. If the only way you could see your favorite quarterback play was by pirating your neighbor's cable, would you do it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I hope the, hope the cops aren't coming for me right now. Uh, I don't think any cops listen to this uh, podcast. Yeah. Maybe they do. Yeah, that's, but... that's all. I don't know why I assume that. <laughs> cops, if you're listening, please let me know who my police officer fans are. Yes. Oh, that'd be, yeah, like you're just, your your podcast is on in the background with all the big cop bars in, uh, <laughs> in, in, in Minneapolis. Oh, it's exactly what uh, cop bars do, right? Is play, play podcasts. Podca- play podcasts. <laughs> Yeah. Listening to the comedy podcast. Yeah. Real, real big business opportunity there. Like, why don't we bring the podcast space into into bars? Like, the music's always so loud anyways. Why don't we, you know? It's my favorite part of going to a bar when you go up to the jukebox and you get to decide, which podcast am I going to put on? It's, it's the way of the future, I think. <laughs> I really think so. Uh, well, I've talked about a lot of theoretical theft on Obsessed, so uh, the police officers who listen are very understanding. <laughs> but now, do you see piracy as a victimless crime? Is that why it's like, of course? Or is it just your need is so strong? Yeah, no, it's funny because like in general, I, I don't support piracy. Um, it's I've actually thought about it a lot just because of my love for film. And now that Filmstruck is is closing down, I know a lot of people are advocating for pirating classic films and things like that yeah. that can't be accessed elsewhere. And that kind of situation has made me think more about piracy. Um, but in terms of like... My kind of rationalization was like, oh, I'll just, you know, mooch the login on someone's cable. Like, I don't, in the end, a lot of the monetization, sure, there's the cable subscription, but like the big thing is getting eyeballs on ads. Yeah. Right. So, in, in an essence, pirating in that specific frame of reference. Okay is somewhat contributing to, I guess, what, you know, a cable provider wants to do. Okay. They, they want you to see the ads. So you would be okay stealing it as long as you also ate some Domino's and bought a Nissan. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And, and added three apps on my phone for, you know, for for whatever sort of, uh, you know, weird needs. Or, whatever war game that they're uh, advertising. Mobile war games. I only watched the Super Bowl, and I feel like football loves mobile like war games it's i think it's the same demographic i mean yeah. the people who love kate upton promoting whatever mobile war game are the people <laughs> who love watching football too <laughs> fair enough uh if you were about to see your favorite quarterback live but then a bla- a bear was blocking your way into the stadium would you try to get around the bear oh my god yeah why not um <laughs> well, well how big how big is the bear no i'm kidding um yeah, I, I I probably would. I'd give it a shot, especially if it was like I would never see him play again. Yeah, it would also make for a great story to to say like I I saw Kurt Warner play and I had to get around a bear. I dodged a bear I to do, do this. I dodged yeah. a bear to do this. Uh, now, is that coming from your uh, deep love of the game, or is this coming from a little bit of the spirit that you have as a person, or is a a quarterback fan of like? Yep, there's got to be a way to literally get around this obstacle. Because honestly, most people are just like, 
That's funny. But no, of course not. <laughs> I think it's, you know, I think it's probably something a little more basic, like just kind of the the experiential desire yeah. of, I mean, that's something, I think it's feeding in a lot in business school because there's so many things going on and a lot of great opportunities. Like we joke about FOMO all of the time. Yeah. And so for me thinking about like, you know, this two-year experience and trying to say yes to as many things as I can right. is probably what's prompting me to think like, you know, this is an experience despite like the initial like sort of literal or metaphorical bear in, in, the, <laughs> in the way of the situation. Like I, I will say yes because I know I'll, I will be glad I did looking back on yeah. it in the future. You're not going to let a bear say no for you. Yes. Yeah. Take that, bear. <laughs> <laughs> I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What kind of noise do you have? Oh, man. That is good. It's almost like... It's like a... Mm, like when you're like when it's and it's like the the like chef's kiss you know like yeah. The, uh, okay yeah because it's it's appreciating like again like quarterbacking being a science and an art um kind of like how a, a, a wonderful dish is a mix of like again art and i guess chemistry right yeah and so it's like almost appreciating this like sophisticated level of athletic ability but also like mental capacity in a in a really challenging situation yeah so I, I would say that i would say that sort of distills <laughs> the uh like oh i guess in college too we would we would just do like a good like mm, like <laughs> like a like a mm, that was good or yeah like, mm, good play or even sometimes when it was bad just like mm, not <laughs> That is a really good expression of uh, Minnesota where you can make almost the exact same noise, but only a slight inflection difference. Yes. It's very positive or very negative. Mm. I I think if any of my teammates listen to this, they'll know exactly (laughs) what I'm talking about and the coaches that were were very uh, apt to to make that noise a lot. Yeah. Well, it's awesome that all of these, uh, both noises you offered, uh, even the one with the two different emotional inflections. (laughs) uh, So all three are such an appreciation in like you're talking about not the angry what the fuck are you doing that's not the there's noise plenty of that too <laughs> <laughs> oh there is some of that okay fair enough fair enough uh i have people rate their obsession so on a scale of one to ten uh ten being the highest one being the lowest where do you think your obsession level is oh man i'm like the guy who never goes like 10 out of 10 or 5 out of 5 on like these rating scales okay. man, that's probably very minnesota you don't too. want to be put in a box that kind of thing yeah or just like always room for improvement right <laughs> <laughs> I think that's... i'm not good enough to be a 10 yeah yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the person who thinks like 10 is perfection and there's nowhere to go from there which is probably not the right way to think about it so uh, as a kid like definitely a nine okay. maybe now like you know like eight, maybe eight, eight point five, something like that. Right, right. Um, is is probably where it's at. Okay. Do you feel like there is anything that you are doing to hold yourself back from going to a ten? Um, probably just like financial investment, right? Okay. Like I'm, yeah. I'm a poor college student now, so <laughs> you know, like if I could, yeah, I would get ram season tickets and you know get like the NFL Sunday ticket package and just okay. gorge on that as much as I could. But, you know, now that there's limits of uh, being in business school and and both on financially and and on your time, those those are probably the things that are holding me back at this point where, 
you know, if I really wanted to take it to a 10, it's it's just about more investment and engagement, I think, at this point. Okay. Not that it's a need to take it to a 10. I'm just always curious to see, like, where people say, like, this is how I stop. This is why I stop. This is how I how yeah. I have to stop. Yeah. All sorts of different ways to look at it. Uh, where can people find you on social media if you want to be found? Yeah, absolutely. I think on, you know, the Twitter and the Instagram, I'm at, at Lewick. That's A-D-L-U-E-C-K. Um, I'm, I'm not the most rabid poster, but, um, especially now that like I'm exploring a lot more in terms of business school and the thing and the conversations are a lot more fascinating. Um, you know, if people want to talk more quarterback stuff, feel free to hit me up there. Happy to, (laughs) happy to talk ball. Um, so yeah, so at, at A-D-L-U-E-C-K. Yeah. Okay. And then because you're in business school, I have to ask, do you want to be found on LinkedIn? Yeah, you can hit me up on LinkedIn, but you know, you got to have like we coach when we connect with people on LinkedIn, you got to have a message with the invitation. You can't just, you know, put a random one up there. And if I don't, <laughs> if I don't know who you are, I probably won't add you. But if you put a message, say, hey, yeah, I heard you on Obsessed, would love to talk about XYZ. I would I would definitely consider it. OK, cool. <laughs> that is awesome. Here's some quick plugs for this show and then we'll do our final questions. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and stuff, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Flynn Flonnet is on patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, here are just final questions. They don't have anything to do with your main obsession, but they're just fun. If one part of your body could be cybernetic, what would you choose? Like hand, leg, face? A cybernetic face. <laughs> cybernetic face. Yeah. Uh, anything. Oh. Um, like my initial reaction was an arm, you know, so yeah. just so like could, you know, be very effective at throwing. But also like my hair could be <laughs> <laughs> like I'm happy with my hair now, but I'm told that the mother carries the balding gene. Oh, wow. And my mom's dad was bald. So I have this weird paranoia, but part of me thinks like if I haven't lost it already, I might be in good shape. Yeah. But like if I ever go bald, like it would be nice to have, you know, cybernetic hair. <laughs> no. It would it would look real. Okay, I was gonna say it would look real, <laughs> real, real enough. Um, until we all enter like Ready Player One sort of like uh, avatars and stuff, then it's you okay. Know, then it's fine. But but if you like really really zeroed in, you would see that like each strand was actually like a little uh, computer chip. Yeah. That, that'd be pretty wild. Yeah. Program to like, okay, it's windy now, so we need to move this way and make sure we're natural. It's not lice. It's just the, it's just the wiring. It's the computer chips in there. I swear. That is an excellent answer. If you turned into a were animal during the full moon, what kind of were animal would you want to be? Probably some kind of bird, like an eagle. Um, <laughs> like I've always been, I've always like loved birds and birds of prey for a weird reason. I think it's just like the, the wish fulfillment of flying. Yeah. And having just like a really cool point of view on things. So yeah. So I think if the moon came out, definitely would want to be, you know, and they can see pretty well at night too. Yeah. So yeah, probably like a where, a where eagle. A where eagle. Okay. And is, are you just responding to that sort of uh, that iconography like we talked about with quarterbacks of like the, probably the cool bird, the bird that takes care of business, the eagle. <laughs> My high school mascot was also the eagle. So okay. maybe there's like a little bit of that too. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, Again, like I gravitate towards these weird like center of attention or like things that have iconography with them. So yeah. it, it, it makes sense. I, I think you might be being a little uh, Minnesotan in <laughs> calling them center of attention things because you've also uh, like uh, spoken very eloquently about the responsibilities 
and uh, of being a leader figure, of mm-hmm. taking care of other people. So, like, if in, if you turned into an eagle once a month, <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily just be like, so I can fly, and everybody goes, look, oh, man, Adam's a fucking eagle. It's so cool. <laughs> you, would, you would do uh, supportive eagle stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be, I would be like the neighborhood friendly where you go, right? Like <laughs> you would swoop around, look for any problems in the neighborhood, yeah. see if anybody needs help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like maybe a second job being like, you know, like the Postmates where you go. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you want you want a burrito from yeah. you know so and so? Yeah, I'll grab that for you. Drop it off. Who needs something? Where Eagles on it? <laughs> the Amazon where Eagle. For, forget forget the drones. <laughs> yeah, Amazon Prime Plus. You get your own personal eagle once a month. That's perfect. Final question for. Anyone on the podcast, everyone on the podcast, what is happiness? Yeah, I've I was thinking a lot about this coming coming in. Um, I think for me at this moment, happiness is if it's not directly this, it's very strongly connected to a sense of fulfillment. Okay. Um, I think for me, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, worked in kind of a corporate you know desk job, was good enough at it, but it didn't you know strike that passion that I had for, you know, for film and for entertainment now. Um, And so the fact that I'm out here pursuing that dream and being able to like eat, sleep and breathe something I've cared about for so long, there is this really strong sense of fulfillment there. But then also being a part of a community at UCLA Anderson that in in LA in general that I'm really, I really care about and want to be engaged in. And feeling like every day I'm contributing to the betterment of that community, um, that brings me a lot of fulfillment and I think is what, you know, gets me excited getting out of bed every day. And so I think it's that cycle that, at least at this point in my life, is really contributing to my my happiness. That's great. That is a great answer. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you so much, Joseph. Really appreciate it. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. During my senior year at the University of Minnesota, we were playing our hated rivals, the Wisconsin Badgers, the the biggest rivalry game um, that we play all year for this really, really like 10 foot long wooden axe is this rivalry trophy we have. And we had to play deep in, in Wisconsin territory. It was a fourth down, and we were lining up for a field goal, and we called a fake. And as the holder of the field goal unit, I was the one that called out the fake on the field. And my job was to take the snap and flip the ball between my legs behind me to our kicker, who was running around the right side. And he caught it, broke a tackle, and ran in for a touchdown. And it was a fake that really hadn't been done before. And as a result, it ended up on the Sports Center top 10 that day.